We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. The show today is presented by Window Nation. December cold has arrived. That means higher energy bills, especially with natural gas prices continuing to rise. If you've got old windows and you've been thinking about new windows, act now. Call Window Nation at 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com. They can help. And right now you can get a house full of windows for just $99 a month and you'll get 50% off any style window, including bows, bays, double hung, and sliders. Most of you know that I've been endorsing Window Nation for a long time. It's 12 years. Uh, I have complete faith that it will be a great experience for you. You can mention my name. They'll give you a free estimate, so there's no risk. Uh, You can do that estimate online if you don't uh, feel comfortable with them coming into your home. Uh, But this is a company trusted by over 100,000 homeowners, including me, many listeners, family members, and friends. Call them at 866-90-NATION. Go to windownation.com. With the natural gas prices being so high, your energy bills are going to be really high this winter. If you've got old windows, call Window Nation today. Brad Sham, longtime legendary play-by-play voice of the Dallas Cowboys, is going to be on the show today. Uh, I will certainly uh, ask Brad about the feeling in Dallas about this game. You know, and for a guy like Brad that's called so many of these games, you know, to have a Washington-Dallas game that's got some meaning for the first time in a long time. I wonder if they're excited down there. Also about the Dallas Cowboy team, look, they're getting healthier. You know, Randy Gregory's a possibility to play Sunday. It could be the first time this year. They've got Gregory, Parsons, and Demarcus Lawrence on the field at the same time. You've got Amari Cooper a couple of weeks removed from COVID. Um, so they may be coming in here as healthy as they've been all year long. But with that said, they're going to be facing a football team right now that is playing really well. Like they're playing to me like they are worthy of an NFC playoff spot. They look like an NFC playoff team right now. Um, I'm excited about the game Sunday because I do think Washington's got a really good chance to win it. Of course, we'll be here on Monday after a 28-10 loss and four injuries, and you know the season will feel like it could be over. But even a loss on Sunday certainly won't eliminate them. They're very much in the thick of the wild card race. Now, they do have to win this game on Sunday to stay in the division race. Being three games back with four to go, um, they're not going to you know contend for the NFC East in a home playoff game. But a win, wow, the pressure on the Cowboys at that point with Washington a game back on a roll. Um, the Cowboys would have the Giants the following week and then Washington at home on the 26th. They still play the Cardinals, the Cowboys do, on January 2nd, and then they close in Philadelphia. So Dallas can go a long way towards you know, really having a stranglehold on the division by winning Sunday. But if they don't, then it gets really, really tight. And man, it makes the final four weeks of the season even more exciting. I think they can win the game. I think they will win the game. Uh, I really think that Washington right now is playing at a level 
that isn't Tampa level. It's not Green Bay level in the NFC. I don't know if it's Arizona level or not. I'm not a a huge believer in the Cardinals at this point. But I do think it's Dallas level from what we've seen in the last few weeks. I think it's Rams level based on what we've seen from the Rams in the last few weeks. And it's certainly the level of all of the 6-6 and 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 5-7 teams in the NFC. That's where I want to start. Um, Bill Barnwell, who writes for ESPN, writes super long stories. We've referenced them in the past. But he talked about and wrote a story about the NFC wild race right now to playoff berths. You know, he starts off by writing, the NFC is a beautiful, chaotic mess. The conference's top tier is about as orderly as it comes. Five teams with at least eight wins, including the four division leaders, and then you've got the eight and four Rams, who have a clear path to finishing no lower than fifth in the conference. Each of those five teams will enter week 14 with at least a 95% chance of making it to the postseason, according to ESPN's Football Power Index. The second tier, though, might as well be thrown into a spin cycle if you want to figure out how things will shake out by week 18. Well, then he goes through the process of putting it into the spin cycle and shaking it out and predicting what it will look like after week 18, week 18 being the final week of the season. I would start with this. I'm not so convinced that the Rams are a lock to finish fifth, uh, no worse than fifth in the conference. I think the Rams are struggling right now. I think they've got an injured quarterback who's got some back issues. Something's not right with the Rams right now. Um, They won last Sunday over a terrible team, Jacksonville, but they had lost three games in a row and had gotten handled, you know, by the Titans and by the uh, 49ers and two of them. And really, they never had a, a legit shot in that Packers game. They play the Cardinals on Monday night. They have to play in Minnesota against a team that will still be fighting potentially for a wild card berth. They have to play at Baltimore on January 2nd, and then they close with the Niners. But anyway, let's assume that Barnwell is correct. And let's assume for a moment that Washington doesn't win the division. I think they've got a chance to win the division, and it'll really, really be enhanced with a win on Sunday. But the most likely path for Washington to the postseason is via the wild card route. And there are seven teams Washington, San Francisco, Philadelphia, New Orleans, Minnesota, Carolina, and Atlanta all battling for those two spots, if you assume the Rams have the fifth spot. Washington right now has the sixth position. San Francisco has the seventh position. Just as an FYI, not that I'm going to bore you with major tiebreaker scenarios, but Washington's conference record is going to really help them out because right now Washington has a 5-2 and two conference record. And let's just assume that it's going to take nine wins, that they win three of their final five. Well, they would end up with an 8-4 and four conference record. All of their remaining games are conference teams. They're all division teams um, that they've got left. So that will be a huge factor for them. Uh, as you get into the nine and eights or even potentially an eight and nine scenario. Uh, now, head to head, will they own head to head two team tiebreakers with Carolina head to head and Atlanta head to head, but they would lose out to New Orleans head to head? Personally, I think the Saints stink. I don't think they're really in this conversation, although their next game is against the Jets and they do have games against the Panthers and the Falcons, two teams fighting for this as well. Um, anyway, Barnwell's conclusion, along with the ESPN, you know, football power index, is that San Francisco and Washington will snag the final two wildcard spots. So I'm not going to go through, you know, why um, and, and what the numbers say with respect to their schedule. They've got, he's got Washington and San Francisco snagging those two spots. But there was something else from Barnwell's story that piqued my interest. Um, He wrote extensively about these seven playoff potentials in the NFC and about recent trends and, you know, how they're playing and why they're playing well. In Washington's case, why they've won four games in a row. And he specifically cited two things. He cited yards per drive, which is something I talked about last week, that their yards per drive 
was eighth in the league heading into the Raiders game. They were fifth in time of possession, yet they were only 20th in points per drive. Well, he said that only the Patriots and the Packers over the last four weeks, over the last month, are averaging more yards per drive. That's a good thing. If they can continue that, more likely than not, their points per drive are going to increase. This is a really good way to stay in these games and have a chance to win them. And and to be honest with you, I actually feel really confident that they're going to continue to move the football. Um, less confident that they will end up scoring lots of touchdowns, but fairly confident that they're going to continue to move the football. And that's a good thing for them, their defense, the team. But the other thing that Barnwell wrote about sent me into a um, – a deep dive, I guess, you know, sent me into this, you know, long rabbit hole of looking for data this morning. Bill Barnwell wrote back after the seventh week of the season when Washington was two and five and had the worst third down defense in the league by miles. They still have actually for the season the worst third down defense, but they're closer to 31st than they've been, you know, in several weeks. Anyway, he wrote after week seven, prior to the Denver game on October 31st, he wrote that Washington's third down defense will improve, that the numbers that they are producing, which are awful numbers, are not sustainable because their first and second down defense is really good. Barnwell said at the time that their first and second down defense ranked fourth in the NFL. So, you know, we kind of have this sense, I think, from those, you know, seven, eight games that they kept giving up third and longs. Well, they were. You know, each quarterback they faced was getting third and nines, third and tens, third and twelves, third and fifteens, over and over again. And Barnwell's point at the time was, if you keep putting this these teams into third and longs, you're going to start getting off the field more than you have been. It makes you know, logical sense that if you're really good on first and second down and you keep creating third and longs, eventually you're going to get some stops. It's a lot easier to stop a team on third and 10 than it is, than it is on third and two. But I thought about their third down defense over the last four weeks, which has improved dramatically. And Barnwell took credit for saying, you know, I told you after week seven that it was going to get better and it has. But what he didn't say was whether or not the first and second down defense, which was so great in the first seven weeks, fourth in the league, had remained as strong. And the reason that I decided to go look at some of the third down numbers for Washington over these four weeks is because I kept thinking, man, they have had a lot of third and short stops. There haven't been a lot of third and longs. There have been a lot of third and ones that they've gotten off the field on, a lot of third and twos, which is, you know, to their credit. But it wouldn't be the reason that their third down defense improved if, you know, that their first and second down defense remained strong. So, uh, look, I can't tell you where their first and second down defense ranks right now. What I can tell you after looking at every single third down over the last four games, is there no, there's no chance that it's fourth in the league anymore. Their first and second down defense has gotten worse. Listen to these numbers. They have faced 39 third downs defensively. 24 of those third downs have been third and four and shorter. Only five of those 39 third downs have been third and eight or longer. In fact, of the 39 third downs, they have only faced or they've only uh, put teams into position of third and 10 or longer three times. Uh, The Raiders had a third and 11. The Seahawks had a third and 10. And Carolina had a third and ten. It's not even third and double in long double digits. It's like third and ten twice, third and eleven once. There have been no third and fifteens, third and twenties, third and nineteens, third and twenty-fours. None of those. They haven't faced or forced teams to try to convert on any of those. Third and four or shorter have been twenty-four of the thirty-nine third downs that they have had to face defensively. So I don't have the numbers for the league, so I can't tell you how far their first and second down defense has dropped. 
But I just think it's very interesting that they had this great first and second down defense through the first seven weeks of the season, but couldn't get off the field on third down, on third and long. And now their first and second down defense clearly isn't as good as it was, and they are getting off the field on third down. You know, Barnwell's logic would be, and it would make sense, if teams still end up with majority third and four or shorter, then the third down numbers defensively aren't going to be as good moving forward. Anyway, I'm not sure if you followed that or not. I thought it was interesting. Netting it out, when they were horrible on third down, they were great on first and second down. Now that they're great on third down, they're not nearly as good on first and second down. But it does make sense, and Barnwell, when he wrote it you know, after week seven, it makes sense that if you keep putting teams into third and long, your third down defense should be pretty good. And at the same time, if teams are having third and shorts all the time, it would seem practical that logical that your third down defense won't be that good. But it has been. But how long will it hold up? if they keep giving them third and four or shorters. We'll see. Uh, I thought that was interesting. Net-net, I think it's a pretty good football team right now. I think it's a pretty good football team, and I think a lot of it has to do with how efficient they've been on offense controlling the ball and controlling the clock. By the way, a couple of pieces of news on the football team uh, this afternoon. Um, Let me... uh, pull it up. Number one is that Logan Thomas is on injured reserve. That means he's done for the year. You can't go on injured reserve, the three-week injured reserve, twice. So while the news on Monday was good with respect to the ACL, and we don't know what the knee injury is, the team obviously put him on injured reserve, season-ending injured reserve, because there was damage to the knee. I'm sure we will find out in the coming days what that damage was. That's a big blow to them to not have potentially Logan Thomas back before the end of the year. So we went from at the end of the game thinking he was done for the year to then having this brief hope that maybe he could come back at some point for them to now knowing he is done for the year. Also, Montez Sweat to the reserve COVID-19 list today. He was scheduled or he was eligible to come off IR this week and begin practice today after the fractured jaw. But Montez Sweat goes to the COVID-19 list, and I think Montez Sweat isn't vaccinated unless there's an update to that story, which means he will definitely miss Sunday's game and would need to uh, test uh, negative twice um, after, I think, a seven-day quarantine uh, to be eligible for the next game. By the way, uh, not practicing today, Landon Collins, Jamin Davis, J.D. McKissick, and Wes Schweitzer. John Allen was limited, but that's good news because Allen was banged up with a groin injury Sunday and only played on 53% of the snaps. They need him badly on Sunday. They need him down the stretch. He's been their best player defensively. I think he's been the best player on the team. Um, It does appear as if McKissick and Collins – you know, we're working off to the side. Jamin Davis had a concussion, by the way. That's what they're, uh, the reason he didn't practice today. Um, McKissick and Allen, I want completely healthy on Sunday. Those are two players that I think will be critical here down uh, the stretch. All right. Um, up next, uh, Brad Sham, the longtime play-by-play radio voice for the Dallas Cowboys. We'll get to him right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, let's welcome on to the show Brad Sham, longtime Dallas Cowboys play-by-play voice. He's been uh, with the team uh, in the booth for all of the big games between these two franchises over the years, going back a long way. And I want to get into you know where you think the Cowboys are right now and what you think about the matchup. But you know, this is for us, Brad. Suddenly. Um, a game. You know, a month ago, we thought the season was over. We've had all of the franchise issues of the last year and a half. We don't have a name right now. And I will tell you that for the first time in several years, it feels like, and they were in a playoff game last year, it feels like this game is one of the biggest home games they've had in a long time. And a big part of it is because of the opponent, this longtime rival, the Dallas Cowboys. You've been around this thing forever. Are you feeling it on your end? Is anybody feeling it on your end or not? Well, I think we feel it differently, but but I, the short answer is yes. I haven't been around for all the big games. I wasn't around for Talbert Staubach and uh, and some of that stuff in the very early 70s. I wasn't around for Clint Longley, right. but, uh, but I have been around for a few of them, and I certainly have an appreciation for the rivalry. And I do think it's a special rivalry, uh, Kevin, even when – even when both teams are not good, but um, this is but but right now both of them are and and they're both going to play a lot of d- division games, almost exclusively division games, uh, the rest of the way. And um, the the uh, I'm in fact the four. I'm looking at uh, Washington's schedule, and it is exclusively It's division. all division games. It's never it's, happened before. I mean, they're ending with five division games. It's crazy. Right, but this is exactly what the NFL has sure. set up. This is, and it's going on all over the whole league. I'm just sitting here looking at a master schedule for the league, and this is exactly what they wanted. Two things. One, parity. So the Cardinals and the Packers are the outliers right now. Um, everybody else, four losses is like in, in just about in first place. Maybe Tampa's an outlier. Uh, parity's what they want so that, and it's an ugly word, it's, it's, become, it's become a, uh, a hyperbolic four-letter word, even though it's not four letters, but what it's designed and i'm not i'm not condoning it i'm just simply embracing the fact that this is what they've given us they want things even so that everybody's in it and then they want things even so that everybody's in it and make the most important games uh, the ones that are in december and you build to a crescendo which Gee, I'm sure it's just a complete coincidence. Turns into big TV ratings and, <laughs> yeah. and more jersey sales. So, my my impressions of this season are that Dallas was not good enough to be six and one, and Washington wasn't bad enough to be two and six, and so now they're both probably about where they ought to be, and. They now have both of them an opportunity to determine uh, what happens to them. I haven't even begun to think about the ramifications if they split the two games that they have, which is the most probable outcome. 
And and then the thing that you can't measure, of course, is the psychology, because obviously Washington's got the all the psychological edge right now with the four-game winning streak and the way uh, some of these have happened. It was a great emotional win. Uh, people who don't travel with these teams do not get the importance of a flight home like Washington had after winning in Las Vegas in a game like that, and and uh, uh, the head coach has got my old friend Jack Del Rio throwing the rocks this week, right. and there is bonding that it's hard to explain unless you have experienced it, but there is bonding that happens on a long flight home after an emotional win like that that I think has a tangible carryover. So that's a big plus for uh, Washington. So Dallas has the challenge of saying, okay, how we've played the last four weeks is not who we think we are. We think it's more like what we did the seven weeks before that. And uh, they're, they're not as good right now as they were during that stretch. And Washington's clearly better than they were during that stretch. And all of this, if, you can, if we remove ourselves from our um, rooting interests and just look at it from the entertainment value point of view, it's great. It's just how it was supposed to be. <laughs> and, and, and it does make the richness of the rivalry uh, even a little deeper. There's no question about it. You, you moved quickly from the rivalry to the matchup and then back to the rivalry at the end. It was, it, it was well done. I, Thank you. Know, <laughs> yeah, but, you know, it's, it's interesting because I, I know you, you know, I, I, the, the call that I associate you with is with the most painful loss of my, you know, rooting for sports teams life, which was the 1979 season finale. And I think it was you and Charlie Waters maybe it, on the call. It was. Yeah, and uh, the touchdown pass from Staubach to Tony Hill. And then, you know, the clock running out before Mark Mosley could come out, even though Theismann was screaming for a timeout, there should have been two seconds put back on the clock. Um, but that's that's neither here nor there. Um, but, you know, it's funny, Brad, because as nostalgic as I can get um, as a lifelong Washingtonian and fan of this team, you know, um, the passion level for a lot of us isn't what it used to be because of what our owner's done to this team and to this franchise. And and yet, and so I, I've, I haven't spent a lot of time in, in recent years, like, you know, kind of reminiscing. But this week, for whatever reason, it's come out of nowhere, and it's like going to be a significant home game, which was a surprise, and it just got me thinking, and that's why I called you, nobody knows this from their side better than you do. So before we get into the particulars of the matchup and, you know, the Cowboy injury situ- situation, et cetera, what's the most memorable Washington-Dallas game you've ever called? Oh, it would be hard for it not to be the one you're referencing in 79. There yeah. were, I mean, there were, uh, l- l- this is my 43rd season, so that means that I've been involved in, I came in the middle of 76, so that means I've been involved in, in close to 25 Dallas-Washington games, um, certainly over 20. <clears throat> and, oh, and More than that. You've been in you, – it's two, two times a year. Times, oh, yeah. Well, I, that's yeah. why I have a statistician. I don't do math. <laughs> okay. All right. So there's a lot yeah. of good ones. Um, I, I remember uh, a season opener when Danny White was quarterbacking at RFK, and they started off – in fact, my broadcast partner, Babe Loffenberg, was a, a rookie in Washington that year. Yeah. And, uh, and we were talking about it just uh, last week. Uh, because uh, that was a game where I think Washington had a like a twenty-one to nothing. Oh, I know what it was. The Dallas was trying to come back from a big deficit a few weeks ago, <clears throat> and we were talking about uh, and they didn't do it. But we were talking about the biggest deficits from which they've come back, and that was one of them. Uh, and I believe there were it was twenty-one to nothing at halftime, and Dallas wound up winning the game. So yeah. that one's memorable. I remember Mark Brunel throwing. 
two touchdown passes in the fourth quarter of a Monday night game at Texas Stadium in a game that it felt like Dallas dominated the whole night, but they could never uh, pull away, and Brunel threw two touchdown passes, and uh, and and Washington won, and so there. I mean, there's been there've been a few of them. Yeah, we we refer to that one as the Monday night miracle. Brunel to Santana Moss twice in the last 4 minutes of the game. Yes. And it, a game that by the way a lot of people in town had turned off because it was a one-sided domination but it was only 13 nothing and and uh and Washington ended up um winning it. Yeah, you you've probably called close to 90 Washington Dallas games um, over the years, you've probably been associated with like ninety of them over the years. But anyway, enough okay. of, enough about <laughs> enough about memory lane. Um, this is a big one uh, in the division, and you know I, I've been talking about it all week. It's 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 as far as the division race, Washington has to win it because if they don't win it, they're three back with four to go, and and you're not gonna you're not gonna overcome that deficit with four to go. If they win the game, they're a game back, and they've got another one with the Cowboys. So. The feeling here is Washington's really played well. Again, it came out of nowhere. And in always paying attention to the other division teams, and obviously with the Cowboys playing so many big spotlight games this year, we've seen most of them, the feeling is that Dallas is really not playing well. Now, maybe it's injury-related or not, but give me right now where you think Dallas is as a football team heading into this game. Uh, well, I, I agree with you that they're not playing well, but uh, I, I will push back on, on you that it's a must-win game for Washington. I think it would be a big psychological boost for whichever team wins. But if Washington loses the game, the, it, the, the best thing is to win the division because you get a home game. But the main idea is to get in. Oh, yeah. They'll still be in the wild card race, of And course. they are yeah. very much in it. They're oh, yeah. certain capable of of uh, beating uh, the Eagles twice they it would be probably more realistic to suggest as I, as I did a minute ago with Dallas and Washington that they would split but I think Washington's got a better chance of sweeping those games and then beating the Giants again so I I don't think it's the end of the road for Washington no. if if yeah. Dallas wins the game but it would certainly it, it would certainly be a big plus, but it will be psychologically for either team. But Dallas is not playing well right now. Um, they have to figure out, uh, and I've only I have to watch the second half offense from from uh, the New Orleans game. They're not running the ball well. Part of it is that Ezekiel Elliott's just not healthy, and uh, part of it is that the some some parts of the offensive line are just not really blocking as well as they can and this is or as well as people think they can and this is a bad team to be playing when your offensive line is not at peak performance now these things can turn around in practice and um the, we'll see uh we'll see if they're able to turn it around against the, one of the very best defensive fronts in the sport uh, I do think that Dallas will be boosted by, I would expect Amari Cooper to be a little more uh, back to himself. He missed uh, two games and really was held to very limited action last Thursday because uh, he was in the COVID protocol. And, you know, it makes a difference when you have good players. Uh, that it, Washington's better with Chase Young than without Chase Young. Can they win without him? Yeah, they can win without him. Are they better with him? Damn right they're better with him. And that's why they spend a lot of money and high draft choices on these guys. So <clears throat> Dallas should be better if uh, offensively if Cooper can play a bigger role. I don't think Prescott's played his very best, and it's not injury-related. And there are some things that you can't tell unless you're in the team meeting room. Uh, for instance, they miss a fourth and two against the Saints on the second possession of the game. Right. And, and I think C.D. Lamb runs a, 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 a very imperfect route, and it winds up being incomplete. If he catches the ball, it's going to be a touchdown, and the, everything feels differently then. The numbers are different. The statistics are different. The emotions are different. So these games swing on a play or two. Um, and defensively, 
Um, we think, although we don't know for sure, that Randy Gregory will be uh, coming back, and that makes them better. And Neville Gallimore, defensive tackle, uh, we, we think will be back. That would make them better. But, um, look, Washington's playing with a tremendous amount of confidence right now. They've got really good players. Uh, I think they're really well coached, and, and Heineke's on a roll and uh, I think it's going to be a big test. And then when Dallas is functioning well, then um, then they can be a big test. And so I think that those are those are all of the ingredients for a really good game. And when you then throw in the emotion and the rivalry, and see for for Washington, you mentioned a couple of times, Kevin, that it's a surprise. So uh, yeah, Washington was the division champion last year. I understand it was a horrible division, and it was a uh, an aberrant year because there weren't any fans in the stands most of the time. But they won the division and made the playoffs, and that counts for something with a young team with many of the same players back. So I always thought that they were the favorite. Washington was the favorite coming into the year and throughout the year. Now, when you're two and six, it gets to be a little harder, and then you you know you go get a cup of coffee and you turn around, and then and now you're six and six, and the whole world feels different. And Dallas was six and one, and now they're eight and four, and people are looking over their shoulder. That's the nature of it. That's what makes it fun. You're great, Brad. That Washington was the favorite. Um, they Dallas was definitely a good enough team to be favored, and and they were. Uh, you know, um, well, hold on. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. When the season started. Dallas people, was the favorite. No, hold on a second. Yeah. That's based <laughs> on strictly people's perceptions of offense. Yes. That's all it is. And Dan, and people, I think Dan Quinn. The season started. Yeah. Prescott had not yet proven that he was going to be able to come back. And you didn't know what their offense was going to be. And. Their defense was historically bad last year. I'm not blowing smoke. Right. Their defense was historically it was franchise bad last year. Yes. And they threw in a new coordinator and a whole bunch. They had eight veterans from other teams who made the team and have been important role players in this team. So... Now, Washington started with people don't even remember that Fitzpatrick was the quarterback when the season started. Uh, that just seems like another lifetime ago. But that, when the season started, you can say all you want about Dallas was the favorite. That's because outside predictors <laughs> look at the names of that's all it is. I know. I know. Out, I, well, yes, they look at they names were, of skill players. Right. That's how they decide who the favorite is, and my experience tells me that's a really flawed way to do it. Yeah, I'm I'm having fun with you because there are a lot of Cowboy fans up here, and a couple of them are my friends, and I'm reading through one of the text messages from my friend Clay, who is a lifelong Cowboys fan, and we go back and forth, and he calls the show all the time, and he said, I've never seen a more confident 6-6 six and six team in my life. I'm not even sure we should show up. See, I think there's a little bit of possum playing um, uh, among Cowboy fans heading into this one, which, by the way, you shouldn't be overconfident based on the way you've played, and, and Washington has played well I think from our perspective the reason why it's such a surprise is at two and six it was a bad football team they lost to Denver on the road to go to two and six before their bye week they were 32nd in the league on third in third down defense Brad and it wasn't even close they could not get off the field to save their life on third down with by the way Chase Young and Montez Sweat healthy um, offensively, it was, you know, a lot of hit and miss, and it looked like we were headed really to one of those seasons, and we've had a bunch of them here, too many of them over the years, um, but like a four, you know, a four-win season. And then they come out, they beat Tampa, they beat Carolina, they beat Seattle on a Monday night, they beat the Raiders out in Vegas, and it, it's a completely different team. I think a lot of people are starting to realize that Ron Rivera and Jack Del Rio and Scott Turner, their staff, you know, you got some – Cowboy guys on your staff, of course. Nor- Scott grew up here when Norv was the coach here, um, but they've gotten it together. It was just very surprising um, compared to where they were. You-, you mentioned some of the players defensively that may be back. When Randy Gregory was
was healthy before he got hurt. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that was the best football he's played, and he was really turning into a massive difference maker defensively. True or not? No, I believe that's true. He he uh, has paid a lot of personal dues. He's worked very hard. Uh, he's a terrific young man. I really like him. And uh, his the reason the, all the physical tools that were the reasons that they drafted him in the second round, despite all his personal issues several years ago, were finally beginning to show up. The injury was a tough thing for him, but I believe that he's over it. And uh, Parsons is a really good player, and Demarcus Lawrence is a really good player. And if they have all three of them on the field together, which they have not, uh, I believe they have not had them all three together. I don't think they played against Tampa. Then Lawrence broke his foot. I'm not sure if Gregory played the first week. Uh, and then the next week, uh, during practice, Lawrence broke his foot, and he's been out until last week. So if they get them all three going, then that will that'll help the secondary. Uh, if, you, if you put pressure on the quarterback, it makes the secondary better. So, yeah, I think Gregory was playing the best of his life. Yeah, and to have those guys together. I mean, Parsons is going to win the defensive rookie of the year. I mean, right now he's he's a massive favorite. Just talk about how excited people are down there about his play. Yeah, they're good. They're gaga over him, and I think personally, I think for all the wrong reasons. I, I was a big Parsons proponent um, before the draft. I had the uh, luxury and the good fortune of having done the national radio broadcast of the Cotton Bowl two years ago when he when uh, Penn State played Memphis, and um, he jumped off the tape at me like few other players had as I was preparing for the game. Then he had a great game. And, you know, then he didn't play last year, and he had some character questions. I know that's why the Giants were willing to make the trade, and right. they, they, they were afraid of him. Uh, and um, he, he is an unusual talent. Uh, I'm unwilling to compare him to anybody. Down here, you know, they put him uh, in uh, because Lawrence broke his foot, as I said, in practice before week two. So they put him at defensive end for a couple of weeks, and he had a couple sacks, and uh, th- then everyone down here is going nuts over statistics. You know, I, I'm a big baseball fan, but I just hate the baseballization of football. Right. It's, uh, it's just not a game about statistics. They are, they are things that help us see some of what's going on, but they don't explain the game. Um, I got into uh, a conversation with the uh, hosts of our flagship station down here a few weeks ago one of them is just believes they should make him an end and i said but that would be like uh that would make as much sense i said to the guy as putting you in a tutu and saying you're a ballerina if you put him at defensive end you are robbing the team of the things that he actually does best which is you know get sideline to sideline and you can still have him rush the passer he can come from wherever you want um uh, that when they played Minnesota on a Sunday night, very low-scoring game, uh, Dallas won without Prescott. Yep, and I thought best game because he he played linebacker in that game, and you you didn't have to watch uh, him. You just all, all you had to do was watch the ball, and you'd find him because he was everywhere. And and that's the kind of player he can be, and he's still learning. So I think he's got a chance to be a special player. And the key will be to use him in the way that uh, maximizes the things that he can do. And then if you have legitimate pass-rushing ends who also happen to be good run players, because they have not been real good about stopping the run all the time, um, I love it when people talk about an edge rusher, like that's all the guy's got to do. A defensive end's got to seal off the edge, close down the perimeter, and play the run. I think that's what Demarcus Lawrence does best. But if you let Parsons play behind those guys, rush when you want him to rush, and then just play football the rest of the time, then I think you got something that people can talk about for a long time. Yeah, for everybody listening, I mean, they've got playmakers defensively. Uh, Brad, you know, Parsons, Demarcus Lawrence is back. Randy Gregory is a playmaker. Uh, you know, Trevon Diggs, and in, in, we know – him from around here, grew up here, went to high school here. His brother went to high school here. 
um, you know, for that first half of the season was picking off everybody. He's a he's a playmaker. I know he gives up a lot too, um, Brad. And then one of my favorite players when he's healthy has been Leighton Vander Esch. They've got really talented players and a defensive coordinator this year in Dan Quinn that is, you know, uh, day and night over the Mike Nolan situation from last year. I, I want to flip it t- to the offensive side just for a moment. Are you one of those people that believes that you're better off, that Dallas is better off with Pollard getting more touches than Zeke? Right now, not necessarily permanently, but I, I just don't think Zeke is. Now, we'll see what the week off, uh, I'd be shocked if he practiced very much today or tomorrow, and um, he'll be limited probably in practice. Uh, I think if you look at the number of snaps, I, I think that they are asking Zeke to do a little too much right now, and uh, Pollard not quite enough right now. Can you imagine that uh, a college team had Pollard and Gibson on the same team? Yeah, I know. Knew yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that, that was that was yeah. That was some plus Henderson, who was with the Rams. I mean that that was something. Well, they um, Henderson and the the receiver that was with the Bears. Um, the God, the receiver that I loved, whose name is just I'm going blank on right now. Uh, too, An- Anthony Anthony Miller. Um, Anthony Miller, Miller, yeah. Miller was on that team too. I mean, you you said that you called that Penn State Memphis game. That was a shootout. I mean, that thing was going back and forth points wise, and you had a lot of those players uh, in the game. But um, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, no problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. I think that uh, I personally. You know, they, I've only been doing this 43 years, and they haven't asked my opinion yet. They've managed <laughs> um, I, I'd like to see them flip the number of snaps that uh, Pollard and Zeke have been getting the last couple of weeks. And uh, Zeke will give them everything he's got. He is a, he's an absolute warrior. He's a phenomenal blocker. Um, he does not have the burst or the explosion right now because of whatever's going on with his knee, uh, but he can still he can still get some things done, and uh, I think they've got to be really smart about how they use him. I would like to see him flip that um, snap count, but we'll see how Zeke is at the end of this week. All right, last one for uh, the legendary play-by-play voice of the Dallas Cowboys, Brad Sham. So from Dallas's perspective, what are the keys to, to, to winning in Washington on Sunday? You know, the um, – oh, I was thinking about this the other day, and, and these, these games always – there are some things, as much as the rules have changed in the game over decades and the style of play and everything, there are some things that don't change. One is turnovers. You know, don't turn the ball over and get a couple – Early in the year, their defense was not great. It's still not great. But they were getting a lot of takeaways. Right. And that's a great deodorant. And then they stopped, you know, Diggs, you know, stopped getting one or two interceptions a week. And then people kind of started to see what their defense was, including them, which is not a bad thing over the course of a year. It helps you grow up. So turnovers is one. And the other one, Kevin, I would say, run the ball and stop the run. Uh, now, Dallas <laughs> yeah. has got a bad propensity for giving up big plays, both on the ground and in the air. And, you know, uh, uh, number 10 scares me, and number 17 scares me, and uh, Heineke is uh, hes a really fun player to watch because he's just not afraid of anything. And uh, he doesn't know what his limitations are supposed to be. He's very clearly composed, and he can make big plays. So Dallas has got to figure out a way to not give up big plays, and then I think they've got to they've got to stop the run, and they have to be able to run the ball so that they can throw it when they want it. If Dallas is throwing the ball 45 times, that's probably not good news for them. This has been a pleasure, as always, whenever we get a chance to catch up, especially before a game that matters. And it's been a while um, since these two teams have played a game that really mattered. Uh, have a good trip up. Tell Babe Loffenberg hello from everybody in D.C. Um, and we'll talk soon. Thanks, Brad, so much. You got it, Kevin. Thank you. Brad Sham, everybody. Uh, Brad Sham, along with, by the way, think about this, Merrill Reese in Philadelphia, Bob Papa, 
the Giants' longtime radio voice. The NFC East has three iconic radio voices. They have all been there forever. Papa, not as long as Reese and Sham. But Papa's been in New York for a long time. I don't know how long, actually. But I think Reese goes back to the 70s. Sham goes back to the 70s. And I would bet you that Papa goes back to maybe the late 80s. Late 80s, early 90s, something like that. Somebody will look it up. You can tweet me. Um, I'm not going to look it up right now. Uh, When we come back, 30 years ago today, the 1991 team, and some college basketball numbers from last night that you will not believe. Right after these words from a few of our sponsors. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Just a reminder to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't. doesn't cost you a thing. Rate us and review us, especially on Apple and Spotify. So 30 years ago today, Washington went to Phoenix to face Joe Bugles' Phoenix Cardinals. Washington was a 14-point favorite as a 12-1 team against 4-9 Phoenix. They had struggled mightily that year. Washington, if you recall, was coming off a win over the Rams in which they only led at halftime 7-6, but they pulled away and won big in the second half. And that game followed their one loss of the season at home against Dallas. They went to Phoenix, and they were down 14-0 at halftime. So this juggernaut of a team, the 1991 team, which I consider to be the greatest Washington team, I don't even think it's debatable. Um, There have been many that have written that it's one of the, if not the greatest Super Bowl winner of all time. But they went through this funk late in the season. You know, it was probably attributable to the fact that once the perfect season was out, they got a little bit complacent, maybe a little bit bored. They were down 14-0 to, to, to the Cardinals. They rallied in the second half, won the game 20-14 to to improve to 13-1, and and they snagged the number one overall seed in the NFC playoffs. With that win to go to 13-1, and they clinched home field advantage throughout. They had two games left, the Giants at home, the Eagles on the road, but those were meaningless games. You know, the Giant game was never meaningless, and they hadn't, you know, they had beaten the Giants earlier in the season, um, to snap the losing skid against the Giants. Um, but really, they were, you know, at 13-1, and one, they had clinched everything they needed to clinch. By the way, in its history, the team has gotten the number one overall seed or home field advantage throughout the NFC playoffs four times. 1972, when they went to the Super Bowl and lost to the Dolphins, they were 11-3 and that year as a, in a 14-game schedule. 1982, strike-shortened 1982, they went 9-1 and and had home field throughout and won the Super Bowl that year over Miami. 1983, they went 14-2 and and then got to the Super Bowl and lost to the Raiders. And then 1991, they went 14-2 and and um, beat the Buffalo Bills in the Super Bowl. Four times they've been the overall... Uh, number one seed in the NFC playoffs. Uh, fourteen and two sounds nice, doesn't it? I mean, eleven and five, eleven and six now would sound nice. Uh, they can't get to eleven and six. Yeah, yeah, they can get to eleven and six. They can win five games and go eleven and six. That would be their first eleven win season if they won these final five games since nineteen ninety one. All right, a couple of things just to finish up the show with. 
I love college basketball. I'm also very aware that the college basketball game is inferior skill-wise, talent-wise, very much so to the NBA game. In fact, it may be the biggest disparity of all the professional sports, the skill and talent level of NBA players versus the skill and talent level of college players. I still love college basketball, and I love the NBA too. Last night in college basketball, there were three results that I wanted to share with you. Number one was Virginia lost to James Madison 52-49. to Virginia had 14 points in the first half of that game. 14. It took a long three at the buzzer to get to 14. So they almost went to halftime with 11 points. I know it's Tony Bennett. I know how Virginia plays. Virginia's not very good this year. Um, 14 points at the half. Uh, Two other games. It was part of the Jimmy V thing at Madison Square Garden last night. The first game was played between Texas Tech and Tennessee. Tennessee was ranked 13th in the country. The game went to overtime. The score was 41 to 41. Okay, two pretty good teams going to overtime at 41-41. Uh, Tennessee won, uh, Texas Tech won the game in overtime 57-52. But the reason I bring up this game is the two teams combined to go 10 for 64 from behind the arc. 10 for 64. Tennessee shot 43 pointers and only made six. Texas Tech shot 24 three pointers and only made four. I was watching this game. It was dreadful. And then the nightcap at Madison Square Garden last night Villanova and Syracuse, an old Big East battle, now Big East and ACC. Syracuse is an ACC team. Villanova in the game last night shot 53 pointers. 50. They only made 13. It was good enough, though. They won the game 67 to 53. Villanova, man, jacks up some threes. 50 threes, but they only made 13 of the 50. So, anyway, college basketball, uh, weird start to the season. Um, the transfer portal. For the teams that really leverage the transfer portal, and they've got a lot of new faces, these teams are struggling for the most part. It's tough you know, to get any cohesion offensively, especially with all the new faces. I mean, I'm not using it as a way to excuse Maryland's performance, but Maryland's got a lot of new players on their team. Um, and that's part of the issue here early in the season. Teams like Purdue that returned a lot of their really good players you know, are really good. Purdue, the number one team in the country. The best team I've watched this year is Purdue. Um, Ivy, their sophomore, six foot four inch, six foot five inch swingman. I haven't looked at a uh, at a at a mock draft yet, but I would imagine he's a first rounder, if not a lottery pick. He's great. Purdue, by the way, had never been ranked number one. It was their first time in the AP number one slot. Um, they had reached number two several times, um, but had never reached number one. The team that's never been ranked number one, that has been ranked number two the most, is Maryland. Maryland has been ranked, um, has never been ranked number one. Now, I don't know why they weren't ranked number one at the end of their national championship season, unless the AP poll just ends with the regular season because they obviously won a national championship. So they should have finished number one that year. But I can tell you that, you know, in reading about the Purdue uh, uh, rising to number one for the first time in their program's history, in this story, it was said um, that uh, Maryland has the most appearances at number two in the poll of any program in the country without having been ranked number one. So there you go. Um, Maryland also has been in the Associated Press the most times, you know, two through 25, without being ranked number one. They've been ranked 434 weeks in their program history and have never been ranked number one. Um, that is the most by far. And they're 37 weeks at number two are the most by a lot. Uh, by the way, one more note on Maryland. For those of you that reached out and accused me uh, in my rant the other day of 
bashing uh, the fan base and blaming the fan base and attacking the fan base for Turgeon's departure. That's not what I was doing at all. I was attacking those in the fan base that thought that he shouldn't be the coach because he's a bad coach. That's what I was attacking. Those of you that thought he sucked as a coach, that he didn't develop players, that he didn't have any wins, that, you know, the the dumb, dumb delusionals in the fan base. I was attacking you people. I was not attacking the fan base or blaming the fan base for Turgeon's departure at all. I love our fan base. I adore how passionate Maryland's fan base has been. I've been a part of it my entire life. You know, there is an aspect of the fan base that is a little bit delusional in terms of what we are and what we can attract. I mean, most of you have no idea the money situation. And one of the issues in in the search will be, you know, is Maryland going to pay up like it's a top-tier program? You know, many of you said, well, we'll get rid of him and then we'll get, and you start listing names that just aren't realistic. But no, not blaming or attacking the fan base for Turgeon's departure at all. Attacking those in the fan base that think that Turgeon, Turgeon shouldn't have been the coach because he's a bad coach. Yes, guilty of that. And I won't change my mind on that. Uh, look, we can all agree what, I've said, what I said the other day. Totally reasonable for all of us to be on the same page that one Sweet 16 appearance in 10 years uh, wasn't good enough. And that alone is a reason to consider moving on, which they have moved on. All right, that's it for today. Back tomorrow with Tommy. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.